0: Welcome to the Cap City Outfitters Podcast. This is episode 196. Uh, you got Chris and only one Brian this time around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Keeping things are, simple. Simplifying. Yeah. It. We are going to talk about uh, the recent long-end focus training event we did. Um, we again shot a whole bunch of doubles drills, um, this time with a slightly larger group of folks. Um, so lessons learned we saw, you know, observing what they were doing. Uh, and then we shot the Blake drill again as well. Uh, again, with more people doing it, so some lessons learned.
1: Yeah, um, from our larger cohort of data. Indeed. I think that's the right term. It works Works for me. I like yeah. it. We could call it a gaggle-o-data. gaggle of data Or a flock-o-data, but that just doesn't seem right. I think I mean, cohort works for me, so. <laughs> and it sounds smart. Almost yeah. British, though.
0: Uh, yeah, so if you're not familiar with doubles drill, um, this comes from the Practical Shooting Training Group folks with uh, Ben Steiger, Joel Park, et al. Uh, basically, we're shooting um, four pairs, um, there's a slight pause between the pairs and we're trying to shoot the pairs as fast as we possibly can. Um, uh, so looking for splits somewhere between like 0.13, um, and like 0.2, um, yeah, one of our guys
1: honestly needs a tax stamp for his finger. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we got, he's, he's got a finger bait. Well, there, what, there were some, there were some 12s and 12s and 13s. Yeah. 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 Um.
0: Yeah, so we did doubles again. We did it at 20 yards. Um, the idea is to put everything in the upper A zone of a USPSA target. Um, yeah, this is all about the mount. Yeah. Um, if you haven't listened to a podcast episode, what was that, 194, I think? Yeah. Uh, we talked about this a lot then. Um, but this is kind of continuation of that refinement of the mount. And when it, when it works, it works really,
1: really well. And when it doesn't, it lets you know something's very, very wrong, or, or, or minor. Something minor is wrong that needs tweaked, um, for sure. But it, it's it's very telling. Uh, the, the ability to mount the weapon properly and then get off, you know, that, that hammer, 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 hammer kind of mentality with a little bit of break in between. Bearing in mind, this whole drill, there's no time hack for the drill. There's a time hack for the splits. You're trying to push the splits as aggressively as you possibly can, which means you've got to be driving the gun physically as aggressively as you possibly can into your shoulder and then driving the trigger as aggressively as you possibly can with your strong hand, but your strong hand really shouldn't be doing much else. Other than driving the trigger, trigger. right? Yeah. Running the safety, running the trigger, and that's about it. Yep. Um, but it, it it shows you where any breakdown in your mount is it, is. it shows you that there is a breakdown in your mount, and then it can help guide you to what where you need to make corrections and whatnot. Uh, one of the things that I don't know that I'd heard stated until the other night was um, that the cheek weld is not necessarily super important.
0: Yeah, so the cheek weld, and this is what I've kind of picked up from I want to say from some of Pranko's IG okay. videos. Okay. Uh, the cheek weld is important from a getting your eye in the same place behind the optic perspective. Okay. But we're not really using the cheek to place a lot of pressure on the stock okay. or on the brace. Yeah, because, I mean,
1: I've, I've always I've always been uh, taught or talked about the, you know, it's four points of contact with the rifle, right? Shoulder, cheek, right hand, left hand kind of mentality. Yeah. And, and with, the, with the cheek, I think we almost – have a similar mentality to where your how your hand your strong hand is riding on the grip enough to drive the trigger and the safety etc. But not so much that it slows down driving the safety. So you're basically using your cheek weld as an index point, not necessarily as a lockdown point. Whereas some instructors yeah. in the past have taught you're driving the gun up into the orbital bone or the orbital bone down into the gun to stabilize it as well from that direction. So that's a little bit of a change that was something that I don't I had missed somehow. Not, not that it really mattered in this case because yeah. I don't tend to run super hard down on the gun anyway, um, based on height off sight offset. But still, you know, going from there.
0: Yeah, it's really hard to get consistent pressure um, with your face onto the stock. Yeah. So that makes it difficult to be repeatable. Okay. Um, pulling the gun in very tightly with the support side hand and the shoulder is very repeatable.
1: Yeah. Same place. Same place. Um, same place. Same place. Yeah.
0: And then. Also important with that is rolling that shoulder kind of up and forward, um, helps again to create that additional pocket. contact, crease that pocket, and more surface area more right surface around the back area. of the gun. Yep. Um, so rolling rolling that shoulder like up and forward um, makes mm-hmm. a difference. But yeah, the the idea with the you know the cheek weld is really just getting your eye in the same place um, so that we we try to minimize any parallax issues behind the dot. Yeah.
1: And at twenty yards, you shouldn't be seeing much of that anyway. Um, but still, yeah. just getting that, getting consistent, being consistent about how you're seeing things through the optic matters in yeah. this case. Better,
0: better to have the optic centered in the tube than yeah. off all the way to one side or whatnot. Uh, yeah, this
1: isn't the place for that. Yeah, this is not the place for that. This is not that drill. So for sure, cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to I was down on the end on, on on my end of the line, stinking things up dramatically yeah. for the first half of the night or first two thirds of the night. Um, so I, I was on the struggle bus, but I've, I've got some some physical issues um, with my shoulder that I was I was in a lot of pain. Yeah, which actually you're not the only one. Yeah, so. I was. Yeah. So I was I was in a lot of pain and still managed to figure out kind of how to. And I don't want to make this sound like I gave birth or something like that. It wasn't that kind of pain. It was just seriously distracting discomfort and just kind of figured out where I needed to be to get the least amount of pain and the most amount of control. Um, and we talked a little bit last time about, you know, blading your body just a little bit. If you find that you have mobility issues where it's hard to get your uh, support side elbow under the gun and pull the gun back into your shoulder at the same time, I had to blade a little bit to get there to do that. Um and that relieves some of the tension and some of the pain from the previous night, but it, it was back with a vengeance this time around. And I'm not sure what's going on there because it's not hurting me anywhere else, but I'm noticing it there. So some minor adjustments. I do think that one of the things that I'm tweaking is uh, I, I played around again with where my hand placement is out on support. Hand placement is out on the fore end of the gun. Mm-hmm. And after talking about you, you had pointed out that some of the guys who teach this stuff don't necessarily use indicating devices on the gun for where their hands are. They just use the tube and grab the gun, wherever they grab the gun. I, I a little bit of moving my hand back and forth is what alleviated some of that tension, some of that pain in yeah. my shoulder. So I, I, did pull the, um, I've got a small little, like, I don't know what it's called. What's that Bravo the company? little KC, nub? KG. Yeah. Yeah. I, I pulled, I pulled that off. Um, and I'll probably pr- play around with light placement and maybe some stuff like that too, but I pulled that off the gun so I could get my hand wherever I wanted to and doing some of the dry fire stuff, um, did a lot of shoulder mobility stuff, some kettlebells, some some. I don't know if you guys have ever seen like the Indian um, Club? the clubs. the clubs. Yeah, I did some weighted stuff. They're not clubs; they're redneck clubs. They're okay. they're they're Chris made these at home clubs, um, kind of things, just swinging those around. And one was like a metal rod that probably weighs about eight nine pounds. And did some really good warm up stuff. But then without the K G on there, did did some of the bringing the gun up and just running doubles, dry fire, and then doing um. Rifle Cross and Bilake. Sorry, I like saying Bilake. It's more fun than Blake. Um, Bilake! Anyway, in um, doing that and found that I did. I still wasn't comfortable, but it was way better when I could get my hand where I needed to get my hand. So I don't know. I, I may dump any of those kinesthetic reference yeah. devices for a while and try that out um, You know, and go from there and see if that makes a difference or not. But that I think I was yeah. reaching out too far and still trying to pull the gun, and I have a fairly short wingspan. Yeah. So that, that may be an adjustment for me. Yeah, there were a number
0: of guys that found that the either the vertical grip or the angled grip or the whatever the walker was yeah. on the on the bottom of the rail um, ended up being exactly where they wanted to put their hand.
1: Yeah, because they've been um, running the gun out further. than yeah. doing right, and I and this is not to pick on anybody, um, not uh, but th- like doing that Costa C clamp where you're way out on the gun. That was a way of doing things that turned out to be better than the previous way of doing things. I think this way of doing things is going to turn out to be better than that way of doing things. So it's not to like pick on Costa or Haley or any of those guys running that exaggerated way extended out C-clamp. It's just, again, we're learning more. We're seeing human performance through the competition world. Guys getting better and faster and faster and faster. And how are the guys that are getting faster and faster and faster and more accurate getting there? It is is through the technique, the repetition, etc. Part of that is maybe... Changing slightly where you hold the gun, modern isosceles, you know, going back to Weaver, going back to one handed crap. So whatever. Yeah. You know, these are just this is not like your way sucks and this is you know, it's it's like, okay, this is an evolution. Everything yeah. is an evolution in life, and that's one of the things we're seeing here. Yeah. So, so
0: one of my recommendations if you're going to go to the range and shoot doubles drill, take that um, stuff take off your gun. Take all that stuff off your gun. Yeah. Or if you don't take all that stuff off your gun, at least have the tools you need with you to to move stuff around yeah. um, because it really does make a difference. Uh, I want to say you had that issue. Mm-hmm. Mac J had that issue. Mm-hmm. And then one or think, two think
1: Wayne was maybe chasing it a little bit too. I yeah. he was having some shoulder issues yeah. anyway. So yeah, and
0: at least one more guy was having, having issues with the same thing where that, yeah. that thing on the bottom was getting in the way. <coughs>
1: um, and there are no young guys in our group. We've got a yeah. lot of dudes who, you know, who have lived life and have some orthopedic issues and probably some shit that needs fixed. Um, so we're just trying to work through this and, and yeah. make it happen. Yeah. Yes.
0: And then the, you know, doing more of a bladed stance, um, that made a big difference for a number of guys too. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the only thing I would say is with the bladed stance is, be, you know, be cautious, get, find out where it works and then figure out, you know, if you if you choose to take that blade, then figure out additionally... Where are your feet at front to back, side to side, width-wise, and things of that nature so that you can still move? If you get yeah. into that target shooter's blade where you're, you know, that traditional can't-parry 100-yard chicken wing, elbow under kind of thing with your support hand, chicken wing with your strong hand, yeah. it, then can you move from there? So there's got to be some give and take about how much you give. But it, it is a shooting drill. Figure out how to make it work into being able to move out of that shooting drill. Yeah. Don't, yeah. don't forget that.
0: I think we've, we've seen guys go... You know, if they started out squared up, um, they're changing. You know, between between iterations of the drill, maybe ten degrees. Yeah. Um, until they find where they need to be, so they were anywhere from I don't know six like sixty degrees to maybe forty to five degrees. Yeah. Off of being, you know, perfectly. Um, was it like? Their hips parallel to the target. Yeah. Um, so they're you know not. Yeah, yeah, definitely not the, like, 90 degrees... Yes. ...like you would up at Camp Perry, um, But it is more than, you know, the, like, you must be squared up to the target all the time kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and, and there, that, and there it, was a
1: reason for the squared up to the target, too, right? I mean, I want to put my armor toward the bad guy yeah. if I'm wearing armor. But by the same token, if I can't run the gun, there's a conversation around that, too. Yeah. Um, you know, and so there's got to be something in the middle. And I would say that, you know, a, a younger dude with good mobility and good strength is probably going to be able to stay fairly square... Um, if you find that you have some of these issues, uh, you know, whether it's a strength issue or purely a mobility issue, an injury or something like that, you you just gotta, you gotta work through it, train through it. That's why we're out there is to learn what works or find what works, whatever the case is. Yeah. Generally the indicator we found that you
0: need to try to blade a little bit more to get that support side elbow angled directly to the ground Mm -hmm. is that you will see a lot of lateral dispersion. Yes. Or diagonal dispersion on the target um, because that support side arm isn't putting vertical pressure or vertically angled. Yeah, is that, uh, it's, it's just it's it's not, 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 the it's pressure not controlling is going, its axis. The, yeah, the pressure ends up coming a little bit more from the side than it does from directly underneath and straight back.
1: And you also see a little bit of creep in this too where everybody gets up, you get set on the line. And it's like you're going to do everything perfectly, but when you line up on the gun... Um, and, and you, you're, you're set to the target with your right angle, you have your brain in the correct place, you bring the gun up, you fire that first pair, and everything, you know, the angels the angels sing, the heavens open up, et cetera. You fire the second pair, and it's, it's still pretty good, and by the third pair you got loose with that support elbow, and it's starting to chicken wing, and, and you can see, and if you are one of those guys who shoots enough to kind of call your shots, I had a couple of runs where where the third the third set was like the wake up, like, crap, there it goes, there's my elbow creeping out, or whatever, and then, yeah. you know, and then the fourth one grabbed a hold of it and brought it back in. Um, later in the night, everything I did early in the night was just ugly, um, just trying to figure out why it was in so much pain. But once I did figure that out, you know, you, you're looking, a little bit of vertical dispersion is okay. A little bit of lateral dispersion is okay. But when you start chasing outside that A zone at 20 yards, that's significant dispersion. Yeah. Um, you know, versus if I run vertical, I'm still staying on the spinal column from a defensive firearm use perspective yeah. I'm, I'm okay with the near miss high or a near miss scotch low when you start going wide are you going to have the effect on the bad guy as rapidly as you need the effect on the bad guy if you're a professional end user i think it starts to matter going wide starts to matter so yeah um but you could definitely see it uh and and you could see i don't know if it was tired or because we ran it a lot we ran this yeah. a lot a lot um but it was nice to see at the end of the night. Guys, there were, if again, if not epiphanies, but there was the recognition that, okay, if I do this, I get the result I want. Yeah. If A happens, B's the result, great, we're good, let's do that.
0: Yeah, and so. it was a lot of, honestly, it was a lot of guys realizing that, like, oh, we're, you know, previous they would have shot probably .5 splits at 20 yards with a rifle, maybe yeah. a little bit faster. Yeah. You know, we're now sub .2s um, yeah. with control.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, with, with, upper, with good upper A zone hits. Um, if there was a miss again, and and again, for the most part, even the guys, you know, these guys are all pretty solid shooters with a rifle. And, and even without any of this, these are guys that would have been ACs, um, with a lot of near A's, you know, those, those close misses. Um, but to be able to tighten it down and drive it a little bit faster, I think is always the goal, um, is to do both, not just one or the other. You know, we could tell anybody to speed up where the shots go. And if your technique backs it up, then you can, if you have good baseline technique, then as you, you speed things up, I think you can get further with it time-wise, efficiency-wise. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And I think that came to light with, you know, what, eight guys on the line. Yeah. Um, I think that came to light that a lot of guys went from fairly ugly, fairly frustrated to like, hey, shit, this is kind of cool. Yeah. So, good stuff. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, on the gear end, beyond, you know, running angle grips and vertical grips and stuff up front. Uh, optics became kind of, optics and optic mounts became a bit of a conversation. Yeah. Um, uh, in that one, like, this is a drill that, like, the rifle has to be zeroed. Uh, you have to know what your holdover is, uh, because we are looking for, you know, rounds in the A zone, preferably in the upper A zone, uh, which means you need to take into account your holdover. Um, uh, if you are playing around with the, like, super extra high mounts and things, yeah, um, your holdover is now super extra large. Yes, so be aware of that. Yeah, um, and that's one of the, one of those things. Like, because now we're trying to do all this other stuff, our mental focus is on mounting the gun. You know where our sports side elbow is, where our hands are at on the gun. Um, it's really easy to forget about that holdover part, and then your rounds end up a lot lower than you were expecting. Right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you don't, you know, if, if you go, an AR already has like 2.5, 2.6-ish, yeah. maybe 2.7 inches of offset between the center line of the muzzle and the center line of most optics, and then you go and throw something into the equation like an extra high mount to, that's intended to be used with like nods, you know, with, with, with night optics and stuff like that, um, you know, the, you can end up with north of 2 inches, like three, uh, with, with three, three inches, yeah, inches, yeah, north yeah. of three inches of dispersion or, or offset between the two, and and those things are definitely like, oh crap. Um, I also have this mount on here that's giving me all this extra room when I'm used to two and a half, or maybe I even forgot to take the two and a half into account, and now I'm three and a half or or three or yeah. whatever. Uh, the other thing that we saw um, LPVOs, um, you know, looking through an LPVO in general. Um, I think an LPVO is a tenable device at any distance. It's something you can kick indoors with and still step back to three, 400 meters uh, with the training. But you do have to have the reps in on the LPVO. It needs to be something, you know, the bigger the tube, the better. I think if you're running a 34, 35-millimeter tube um, with a 28-millimeter objective, it lets you see through mm. the tube better. Um, but when you start talking about low light and and stuff like this where you're running the gun really aggressively and then when we got to the next drill, you know, transitioning from target to target, you know, keeping everything consistent so you can use it like the dot optic is something to take some reps that takes some yeah. commitment to learn that device um, for sure. And so I, I think that kind of cropped up a little bit too. Um, wh- what else did you see or is there anything you wanted to add to that?
0: Yeah, like the LPVO for doubles, um, totally not an issue yeah. uh, because the, t- yep. the initial time on the presentation doesn't really matter. Yep. And that second shot is entirely predictive. Yep. Um, so you might actually learn a little bit more. Um, with confirming that your mount is good, uh, because you're maybe not going to be able to track exactly as well through the LPVO as you would with a regular dot. Yeah. Um, during recoil. Um, but well, yeah, and totally also coming doable. up,
1: you're looking through a longer tube. Yeah. It's it. I mean, again. I still think an LPVO is perfectly functional at those distances, at that speed. It's just the conversation around, it's it's a skosh, right? It's a little yep. bit. And so yes. you're adding a little bit too, and I think your mount, I, I do think it forces you to have your mount just a little bit better, whereas just a regular dot optic okay. is probably a little bit more forgiving. An LPVO on one is still pretty damn forgiving.
0: Yeah, yeah, especially <laughs> yeah. the Trijicon,
1: what is it, the Credo? Credo is a great um, one. Any of the big ones, like yeah. the, any of the good quality ones, you know.
0: Yeah, My, my experience running these same drills and dry fire with... Like either a an MRO HD, um, a Holosun Five Ten C, or the Trigun Accupower, which was the op the their scope that turned into the Credo. Yeah. Um. The Credo on, like a Blake drill, was an extra point two a second. Okay. Yeah. Um, and rifle cross would be like maybe point like point four. Yeah. Um, but but it's not like it's doable. Um, you just got to put in the work. And it's probably going to take a bit of extra work um, compared with running just an unmagnified dot.
1: And I also think for any of those drills, you're adding another pound to the gun. Yeah. So there is that conversation about unsprung weight, as it were. You start trying to transition a physical device from one target to another across an angular metric. And and you're putting weight on the gun. So it takes more acceleration to get it there. And it takes more deceleration to stop it at the next place. There's going to be, there's some give and take on that. That's not what that optic, that optic's designed to do everything, not just one thing. Yep. So, you know, take that into account, and, and your your world may dictate to you that that's something you're willing to give up that point to to have the extra capabilities of a magnified optic that weighs an extra pound. Yeah. Yeah. No big deal. It is what it is. So, yep. cool.
0: Cool. Um, yeah. From going from doubles, um, we went to shoot the Blake drill. So, just two t- two rounds on each of three targets. They're about a yard apart. Um, we did this uh, right about 10 yards ish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think this was. I was actually surprised. I, um, I think everybody shot it predictively, but the transitions were generally pretty ugly. Yeah. Um, and then you know people were like groups were tight, lots of rounds in the in that upper A zone, mm-hmm. um, but a lot of stuff at like point two five, like point two seven five uh, times overall. Yeah. Um, you know we did do this like turn your light on and then engage on the beat.
1: Yeah, this is not Um, a tactical drill. This is a shooting drill. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah, again, one of those drills, like, really easy to dry fire. Um, I like this drill a lot for dry fire because it forces me to do an up drill and then also to target transitions. Twice. Um, Yeah, there's a lot lot going on. Uh, A lot of this is being able to stay target-focused with your vision and then pick out small points on... All three of the targets, as you move your eyes from target to target, mm-hmm. uh, so that we're driving the dot um, to those small points, and we're not just engaging uh, when we see the dot on a brown color, mm-hmm. uh, which represents the target. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot that's got to happen to make this go fast. Yeah, what's um, fast? Uh, so when we look at an adaptive rifle, uh, acceptable is two seconds. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty good is at like 1.6, and then you're chasing the limits of human performance if you can do all A's at 1.4. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And the fastest, were one. the fastest we saw were 1.6s, one 1.7s. One I think it um, was
0: at like 1.55. Did one you? Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. And then I know like Mac J was running some 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 pretty quick stuff too. He was
0: like 2.25. Right
1: around, well, there were a couple runs where he was like he had a 2.1 and some stuff like that, and running a big gun with a can with a scope yeah. on it, you know, which are all detriments to that when you talk about, again, weight moving from target to target. Uh, but his splits are so ridiculously fast that I think it helps it helps pick up some. Yeah. We normally say you can't, you're can't, you not going to pick up time shooting. He might be the exception to that on a couple of these different drills. But in general, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I would agree that it's like everybody kind of took a step back. We were closer, but everybody took a step back mentally to kind of ka-chung, ka-chung rather than pop-pop at those distances. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would have thought the splits would have been as fast or maybe even slightly quicker, with that confidence level. Um, in general, I, again, I didn't get to seal the targets, but I, I didn't. I, I was. I really expected guys. You could tell if you looked at somebody and saw them tense up as they were setting up to run this, and saw them start like flexing everything, locking everything in. It's almost like that's going to be a slow run. Yeah. The guys who were really calm and, and physically were relaxed as they stepped to the line. Um. And, and I would say you and Mac J. And I and I didn't get to see many other people shoot it. it was like, oh, okay. The guys that were relaxed and not tense weren't fighting muscle tension. They were just floating the gun through it, and yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty yeah. cool to watch.
0: Yeah, the only thing that was tense is that support side arm yeah. driving the gun That's really it. hard into the shoulder pocket. Yeah, because uh, that mount's got to be there and mm-hmm. it's got to stay together through six shots.
1: But there's a there's just a posture to it though. There's a posture yeah. for somebody who's relaxed, ready to go, who visually has already seen it because they've dry fired it. Um, you know, or has the confidence that, you know, knows they can burn this drill down. And I would say, again, you know, uh, there's a couple of guys that are pretty damn good with rifles. So it was fun to watch. Yeah. For sure. So, yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Highly recommend shooting Blake drill if you got a range where you can do it. Yep. Uh, lots to learn on that. Uh, the, I guess the next evolution to this would be the rifle cross drill, uh, which we talked about in episode 194. Um, we didn't get to shoot that this night. Um, but I think a lot of lessons were learned on the Blake drill. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I think all the, all the
1: rifle cross pulls you is is it, it forces you you're chasing mentally now it goes from a you go from a shooting drill and doubles to a visual acquisition drill in Blake to a I've got to think a little bit and visually acquire and then shoot properly. So the you know the the rifle cross, kind of pulls just that next level into yeah. it where you've got to kind of figure out what's going on until you've run it enough that it's somewhat automatic and I, I know I yeah. haven't yeah yeah
0: along with um, with rifle crosses making that instantaneous transition between reactive and predictive shooting yeah, um, yeah. with the trigger um, yeah all good drills um, you know the Blake drill and the rifle cross drill are really good to do at home dry fire um, you will learn a lot about you know, the visual side of all this with target transitions. Yeah. Um, and then also, you know, you'll get really good at the, you know, the up drill part of things. Yes. Um, because there's generally a lot of time to be found um, on that up drill. Yeah. Um, we were shooting the Blake drill. I think most guys were first shot was at like 0.65 to 0.7. It should be, um, should be four to five. Should be yeah, uh, in that like 0.4 to 0.5 second range. Yeah. Um, which, you know, that, that's two tenths of a. Two to three-tenths of a second, um, which if you looked at how fast we're shooting doubles, is like two to two and a half rounds downrange Yes. Uh, just in that up drill performance. Yeah. So free time, free lunch. Yep. Uh, yes,
1: yeah. and yes and yes yes. Yeah,
0: take advantage of
1: it. For sure. It's there. You just got to pick it up, you know. And hopefully you, the guy you're running against doesn't pick it up as quick as you do. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the last thing I'll throw out about the, the cross... Is that the cross is is a huge test of the mount because now you're going through more target transitions and more shots. So when you find that if if you're if if stuff's falling apart on you on the back half of rifle cross, then you still need to work on the mount. Then um, I think that's that's an interesting tell there too. Or if you're starting to give up elbow position, um, you're starting to yeah. decrease your strong side shoulder tension and not have it rolled forward or or whatever the case may be. Those things start talking to you in that drill because it is 12 rounds. Um, and it's not something you got to run a billion times. I mean, I think you can do these things, dry fire, but then when you step out on the line to run that cross a few times, it's going to tell you right now, if you've done everything you're supposed to be doing, you don't have yeah. to run a 12 round drill hundred times. Like you do doubles. You can run that 12 round drill two or three times and be like, okay, back to the drawing board. What am I, yeah. what do I need to go work on? What do I need to go back and focus on on doubles again and fix? Yeah. So it, it is nice how they, they all work together to give you, um, good practice Good, vi- good physical practice, good visual practice, and then tie it all together, and then give you a, something to work on and go back to it again. Yeah. So I like that aspect of it. You can get a lot of work done with just a few drills, and maybe a lot of rounds, but uh, it's good feedback. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Again, most of the most of the work on this, especially the target transition stuff, um, the answer is dry fire. Yes. And then we're using live fire to validate the dry fire training. Yes. 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 Uh, yep. On that note, as we come across interesting drills and things. Uh, we try to get them posted up to our social media. You can follow us along on Facebook and Instagram. On Facebook, look, a, look for us at Cap City Outfitters. On Instagram, we are Cap City Outfitters 2 uh, What we can post is still pretty limited because of the commie bastards at Meta yep. and their evil robots. Uh, we do an email newsletter that comes out once a week on Fridays. We can post a lot more pictures and things on that. So sign up for it on our website, CapCityOutfitters.com or send us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com and we will add you to the newsletter list. And then also on the website is valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor over at our storefront on silencershop.com. And then we're here in Hilliard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. We are directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. Uh, we're here 10 to 5 Tuesday through Friday and then 10 to 3 on Saturdays. A heads up that we will be closed for winter break from uh, Christmas Eve, which is December Saturday, December 24th through January 2nd, um, reopening normal 10 to 5 hours on January 3rd, which yeah. is a Tuesday.
1: Yeah. Yep. Merry Christmas, guys. Merry Christmas. Thanks for tuning in.